Hi, and welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drukarsh. I've been a successful agent in Canada's largest market, Toronto, for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of over 5,800 agents and growing. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast, and it's been a remarkable opportunity to meet highly successful and fascinating guests in real estate and in related fields. And today's guest is one of those people. I have a special place in my heart for Patricia Lovett-Reed because when we had started the company, uh, she was kind enough to have me on one of her previous shows. Uh, and uh, now the tables are turned where she's my guest and I'm her host. So, Patricia, welcome to our podcast. Howard, well, first, um, call me Patty. Okay. And yes, I remember way back when. And we were out on the road and we were talking real estate. We were talking the markets at the time. Great insight. And I'm pretty sure I had you on more than once. I think you did. But it was the first time that was really exciting because it was a new company with a, with a disruptor model. And, uh, you know, to get, to get the chance to be uh, broadcast was huge. And, uh, and oh. the company where everybody thought we'd fail because it was a different model and, and, you know, and nobody understood it was a scale operation. Um, it grew to be what we are now, the largest independent brokerage, 5,800 agents. Uh, and we're in our Amazing. 18th, 18th Amazing. Year. And we can say, I re- or I can say, I remember you when. <laughs> well, I'm still at when. <laughs> so, and I remember you when. I mean, your career has been phenomenal. And I, and I think that's why I wanted to have you on. Um, you, you know, all of our guests have, have had careers that included struggles, but they've all been very successful. And mm-hmm. I think that's what the viewers, um, I think that's what the viewers get the most out of is that your success isn't easy. It doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come easy. But if you, if you plug away at it, um, it comes. So that's why, you know, obviously for me to have, to have the roles reversed is, is fun. Um, so I'm going to get started with the questions that, that okay. I, I thought would be interesting for you and for the audience. Um, and I know the answer to a lot of these, but just for those that don't. So before you became a broadcaster, what did you do? Well, uh, I did not go to university. So I started right out of high school. Uh, in fact, I think I dropped math in grade nine, which is kind of ironic given the role that I've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I started in the Bank of Montreal, actually, as a teller. Uh, I progressed to the highest levels of the clerical rank at Bank of Montreal and didn't think I could progress further because I didn't have a university degree. Uh, while I was going through that process, I was offered a job at TD into the management training program, where I spent well over 30 years and moved into a senior vice president role at TD Waterhouse. And then I was recruited to go to BNN Bloomberg. Uh, well, at the time it was BNN to be the morning news anchor. I can tell you, Howard, what I didn't know about myself, which is not great if you're an anchor reading a teleprompter, is that I'm dyslexic, which is probably why I didn't do exceptionally well at school, mm-hmm. but uh, learned to learn in a different way, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so after about three months, I realized after 
Mitsubishi came up in the teleprompter and on national television. Excuse me, everyone. I did say Mrs. Shitty and uh, I didn't get fired, but it made me question why I did it. And so I was well into my 40s when I finally was diagnosed and I understood why some things came harder to me. So I went back to TV, took on a different role. Then I went back to BNN, Bloomberg and CTV for the last decade. And um, ultimately, just recently retiring. No, I wasn't fired. No, mm-hmm. I didn't swear on TV again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I retired because I was getting up at 3am in the morning. And after a while, in conjunction with discussions with my doctor, it takes a toll on your body. Mm-hmm. And they said, you need to to figure this out and maybe sleep into four, five, that that'll go a long way. And I didn't, uh, I don't believe I added this when I introduced you, but your current role is the chief financial commentator for Home Equity Bank. So from, and, and that's really what I remember when I first met you, that you started off as a teller. Um, and um, I mean, what can you say? I mean, most people don't have um, uh, the commitment, don't have the breaks, don't have the skills, you know, to go from that to where you are now. I mean, representing, you know, Home Equity uh, Bank. So- well, you know, I when I decided to retire from CTV, I honestly didn't know what I was going to, which is rule number one. Mm-hmm. I always say in life, at least in my own life, um, no regrets about where I'm coming from, but get excited about where I'm going to. And I didn't know where I was going to. Uh, Social media is pretty powerful. It was back, I think, in 2012, October, I decided to go on Instagram. And I can tell you, Howard, that we have four adult children. Uh, My one son, David, said, Mom, I don't know why you're on Instagram. No one is going to follow you. And I thought, really? People follow you. Why wouldn't they follow me? He said, what are you going to talk about? And I said, I don't know, uh, a moment in my day, and I'll post something every day. By the way, going all the way back, I've never missed a day. I have close to 35,000 followers now. He has maybe 1,500. (laughs) So, you know, I I bring this up because every opportunity that I'm now having as what I call an entrepreneur and freelancer has all come via social media. And primarily, it's all come via Instagram, because there are great relationships there. People have gotten to know me. Um, And I am passionate about helping those who are 55 and over um, fund their retirement. And one of the first people to reach out to me was Home Equity Bank. And, And so they said, would you consider writing a blog for us on a monthly basis, maybe doing some public speaking? Um, I wanted to understand the reverse mortgage a lot better. I know it's not for everyone, but in today's environment, and I don't have to tell you, Howard, how well real estate has done. There are a lot of people who have all of their equity tied up in their home. And then I look at the other side of it and I think, okay, with inflation being where it's at and maybe not a lot of uh, wiggle room, then it really all comes down to Um, you know, maybe providing something, an option that they didn't realize they had. And it's interesting because I parallel you. When I retired, um, I didn't have a plan. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, 17 years, uh, you know, from startup to building this uh, company, we had everybody we needed in place was a good time. Uh, But Adam Price, who I knew from before, 
knew I was retiring. Uh, he said, how would you like to do a podcast? Which is kind of like your son saying, how would you like to be, I mean, how would you like to be on Instagram? And so yeah. what it's done for me and for us is the same thing it's done for you. It, the organic reach is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I, and a lot of what our success with guests has been because they've been able to see our podcasts and see the guests we've had in the past. Um, and so I, I'm quite a bit like you thinking, you know, uh, take advantage of new things because you just don't Oh, know. embrace it. Yeah. Embrace it. You know, people often will say, you've got to be bold. You know, I was getting on an airplane once, Howard, and I was reading some sort of economic report. And so a gentleman got on the plane and the pilot said to him, how are you today, sir? And he said, I'm unbelievably in a big booming voice. He then said, average. And I thought about that. I shot my head up. The pilot and I made eye contact. And I thought he's proudly displaying to everyone that he's unbelievably average. There's nothing wrong with being unbelievably average. The only thing I thought when he said it, if I had been asked that question, how are you today? Great. Thanks for asking. And so the pilot asked me on the way out. He knew darn well what I was going to say. Uh, and so I think you have a choice and life is about choices. We all have shaping moments in our life. There's no question. A big shaping moment for me was my father passing away at the age of 36 of a heart attack. Oh I was nine. And, you know, when you're nine, 36 is very, very old. When you blow past that number, mm -hmm. you realize just how young it was. And I, I say this because while I was at my mother-in-law's funeral, uh, someone came up to me and said, Patty, are you open to some advice? And I said, always. Mm -hmm. And she said, your golden years are right now, like right this moment. And I thought about it. And she said, whether you're in your 20s, your 40s, your 50s, your 70s, your 80s, your 90s, don't don't wait for it. Don't push things off. Don't embrace that opportunity that comes to you. And I still think the next big, big things right around the corner because none of us know how long we have. So you got to go for it, Howard. I think when you've experienced death that early, it does give you a sense of mortality. And unfortunately, it's a tough lesson. But I, I, I think it, it has that effect yeah. on you want to get everything you can out of life, right? Well, you do. You do. Um, I'm not sure I fully embraced it at the age of nine. No, no. Um, it wasn't until I was much older. My mother did remarry. I had the world's best stepfather. In oh. fact, he asked me if he could marry my mother. Hmm. And to that, at the age of 12, I responded, well, you know, I'm never going to change my last name and I'm never going to call you dad. And he said, well, will you let me love you and support you financially? I got to tell you, Howard, even back then, I knew a good deal when I heard it. Um, <laughs> right. Ultimately, he became Papa uh, when I had my firstborn. I yeah. called him that. Uh, you know, I may not have changed my last name, but he never asked me to. Yeah. And so, um, you know, yes, I think you do have some harsh lessons in life. Everyone does. Everyone has shaping moments, but then it comes down to choices that you make in life as well. And I would argue that they're the right choices and you have to surround yourself with the right people. If you've got people in your life that aren't supportive, that aren't pushing you forward, that aren't your best cheerleader, I'm not sure they're the right people that you should have there. I think that's such a good point. And for anybody that's listening, sometimes the people that hold you back the most are family. 
And or yourself, Howard. Or perhaps I, yourself, I will say right. that when I think back to the Bank of Montreal, my husband said, uh, he gave me a sign, uh, like it was a little plaque. And he said, if you can dream it, you can do it, Patty, because the only person holding you back is you. And sometimes you have to get off your own coattails in order to move forward. But I would agree with you. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends. Uh, but I do think sometimes it's yourself. Certainly it was with me. Absolutely. I think, you know, again, you know, we're talking one entrepreneur to another. If you're, if you're, if you're not used to that lifestyle, which is risk. Right. I mean, oh, gosh, yeah, lots of risk, but then lots of reward. Then it's it's a paradigm shift to go from, OK, I've got a job, but I'm going to try something new. And when you do that leap of faith, I've always felt anybody that does it, if they're you know, if they're making reasonable decisions, they'll do OK because they have they have the belief they'll do OK. And that's probably 90 something percent of it. And, yeah. you know, and it's just uh you know, when we have our viewers um, listening to these things, I, sort of a little bit like you, in that you're, you know, you want to help people in the in the senior part of their their lives, and I want to help people who are struggling with what's an entrepreneur like. What does that mean? Could I be one? Mm -hmm. We're exposing really successful people like you on our podcast, which means people can then, you know, maybe think a little more seriously about whether they could do it. I mean, that's well, you know, Howard, I think that's a that's a great way to put it, because throughout my entire life, I have worked for large corporations, first Bank of Montreal, then to TD, then to Bell to uh, Bell and then Bell Media Division of Bell. And so I always felt I had an entrepreneurial spirit in a corporate environment and maybe push the envelope, sometimes did things and then begged for forgiveness later. Um, but this is the first time, uh, and I guess I don't like the word retirement. I really don't. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means to disappear and become reclusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't want to do that just yet. And I don't think anybody who's retired will tell you that's what they aspire towards. But you could spend 30 years in retirement. And so therefore, I kind of like this new word that's being popularized out there. Uh, it's called rewirement. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's it's changing my mentality. So for the first time, I am an entrepreneur. I am out hustling to find a gig to do. Um, I think it's wonderful that you were approached to do a podcast. I can, you know, I can only dream something like that would happen. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where, yes, you're putting yourself out there. Yes, you're taking risks, but you got a lot knock on a lot of doors, too. Right. And and based on your last comment uh, uh, off uh, off camera, I'm probably going to see if you want to be a co-host. <laughs> Are you going to see if I'm going to be a co-host? <laughs> I mean, the what the other thing that that uh, I th when you mentioned TD uh, many years ago, I was on the uh, Habitat for Humanity um, Chairs mm -hmm. Advisory Council, and the meetings were held in Ed Clark's personal boardroom. I remember that was the most impressive boardroom I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and art collection. Yes. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, we, I, I actually uh, was part of Habitat for Humanity as well oh, okay. and was one of their ambassadors and hosted hosted events in the uh, boardroom there. Ah. And yeah, it's uh, it was very, very impressive. I'll also say Ed Clark was a pretty impressive guy when he ran the bank. And, and I know because I had many opportunities to interview him and to sit down and to talk with him. Um, 
you know, it's just uh, he had that kind of open door policy. And very unlike, a, a, you know, sort of a stuffy. He was so I remember in the meetings, you would have never known he was the chair. He was like just the most laid back, yeah. um, you know, friendly, you know, really nice man. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a memory I like from back then. Yeah. Um, so there, you know, a little bit of parallel in what we've done. I want to address something that I think really relates to your career and today is when you started, um, there must have been a lot fewer women doing, let's call Mm. it uh, broadcasting, for lack of a better word. Is is that, am I right about that? Well, there were certainly um, a few of us, but that that would be true. Uh, When I first started out talking about the markets and the economy, because I'm not an economist, but I'm fascinated by economic data and what it means. I kind of tried to differentiate myself and think, okay, um, I want to represent the average Canadian out there who is trying to make sense of inflation numbers, what it means to them, how they can combat it. Uh, What does it mean to have growth? Are we in an economic expansion if it's 0.1% growth or contraction if it's, you know, down 0.1% growth? How does it feel differently? And, you know, the job numbers, those types of things. So it it was one of those things where I thought, okay, if I need to find out more information, if I need to understand this, I bet I'm not alone here. When I first went on TV, I I was terrified because there are so many peers uh, in the industry that I felt, oh my goodness, they're going to call me out. Well, I don't know what they know. But what you find out very quickly is, is that you do. And so instead of trying to do information dump, If I did a chat on television or radio and someone's listening and my barometer was if at the end of it, they go, so what? Then I didn't do a good job. All I did was try to impress you that I knew what the numbers were, but not what they meant to you. And so that's sort of that's sort of how I gauge things throughout my career. That's just me. I mean, others do other things. And maybe in all honesty, I'm not that smart to do what the economists do. So I never want to tread on their, you know, territory. I think one of the things that you win on more than anything is authenticity because you are. (laughs) Yeah. What you see is what you get. Thank you. That's so true. (laughs) And so, so to, you know, to take a, an approach to finance and economics that isn't really you, it wouldn't come across right. But you just, as you said, you deal with it uh, from your own perspective. And I think that's what people relate to. Um, Getting back to to the career, um, and let's, I suppose it could be the whole part of, you know, the entire career that you've had. What would you say are the main skills that got you uh, from teller to uh, chief financial commentator and all the things in between? Uh, I think I'm probably fairly uh, tenacious. I'm inquisitive. I, I like to ask questions. I like to try to get to the, to the bottom of things. Uh, very disciplined, ridiculously disciplined. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I would probably say hardworking in that uh, I don't give up easily. I know when I was being tested for dyslexia, there was a, a puzzle that you had to put together. I didn't know they were what they were testing me for. I just knew this industrial psychologist was putting me through the test. And so he said, okay, let's put the puzzle together. It's time sensitive. 
Well, the timer went and all I saw was a whole jumble of stuff on the table. Mm. And he said, okay, we're done. And I said, oh, no, we're not. I, I haven't done it. I haven't completed it. And he said, no, 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 we're done. And I said, no, 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 we're not. <laughs> and I would not leave that table until I got it. And I did get it. Good. Uh, it took me longer. And he said, and, and I don't have extreme dyslexia. I would call it mild dyslexia. But but what happens is if, you, if it, something is jumbled, then I know enough because I understand it that I have to reread it to make sure those numbers that I really think I have, I have. You will never, ever, ever see me read a teleprompter on TV, ever. So I think I'm probably pretty tenacious, pretty hardworking, pretty focused. Okay. And I, I know you are, or we wouldn't, we wouldn't be uh, uh, in awe of your career. I mean, obviously, it's, it's remarkable. Oh, that's nice. I, Thank I, you. I also think it's because you started at a time where you're really a, tra- a trailblazer in what you're doing. You know, it's easier now. Right. I mean, there, there's social media. People can get found out right. all different ways. Uh, and, you know, even and we did keep in touch, you know, over the years, which was always mm-hmm. nice for me as well. Um, and to get back to sort of when people perhaps some of the people watching want to um, want to be uh, in the broadcast world. Uh, what would what would you say are the skills they need to, you know, getting in is like the hardest part. So what would be the skills they need? Mm. Should they get in? Well, I, I do think you have to you have to love communication and you have to love to find a way that resonates with the audience that you're going after. Uh, I don't have a journalism background and I was afraid that would hold me back. Um, I don't have a communications background. Clearly, I love to talk. Clearly, I love to talk about money. Um, And so when you find your passion, when you figure out what it is that you can differentiate yourself in, then it starts to build. I've often thought, and I've used the example before, where it's like a giant flywheel or bicycle wheel. Um, I've had a chance on more than one occasion through my husband, who has um, a a very strong business relationship with Jim Collins. He wrote uh, Good to Great, Built to Last. how the mighty fall i mean i could go on and on he's on the harvard review best uh, seller list Mm. for decades Mm -hmm. um and you know when i was talking to him he said think about yourself as the nucleus in the middle here so you're the middle of this bicycle and you want to gain momentum in your life you want to gain momentum in your career it's not like all of a sudden you wake up and you are just flying down the street it doesn't work like that It's one spoke at a time. So when I decided that I wanted to become a spokesperson for TD Wealth, there wasn't a job. Um, I was just trying not to be fired because they were looking at eliminating positions. And I thought maybe I can add value in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I put myself in the middle of that communication hub. And I thought, okay, what's the first spoke? I'm going to find a radio spot. I'm going to say, I'll do this every day for you. You don't have to pay me. And somehow I managed to secure 680 News on the way home. Uh, John Hinnon uh, said, I'm going to take a chance on you because normally these are sponsored. But if you say you're going to do it and you do it every day, okay, let's take it away. And I did it for such a long time. You, You build up a lot of following that way. Then I decided that I'd try doing a freelance article for major newspapers or magazines. 
um, offered to do uh, chats on TV and I would pitch ideas around anything and everything. And then it even got to the point once where Lloyd Robertson from CTV, he was the national news anchor. I didn't always go on with him when I was at TD, but he would call me and we would chat about the economic data, what it meant. Was this good news or bad news and put some perspective around it. And so he would just bounce ideas off me and we became friends. So then not surprising, I had a big supporter when I landed at CTV. Mm, so, I mean, it does, it does come down to um, networking, networking and, and believing in yourself, which we talked about earlier on, right? You, you, it wasn't like you doubted. It was just find the opening, right? You know, it was, it wasn't, it was, I, I had this desire to want to try to help people, um, it wasn't, it wasn't the platform. I knew the platform was powerful. I knew it was big, but I couldn't, I couldn't focus on that. I had to focus on, okay, what can I do to help just one person? Mm -hmm. I found that to be a very powerful way. When I hosted Money Talk on BNN, which you were on many, mm -hmm. many times, at the end of each show, I would say, and it was sponsored by TD, it was, in essence, today we call them infomercials, basically. Uh, but I would say to them, if I, if I can help you, send me an email. I may not have the answers. I may direct you, but I will put my credibility on the line that I'm pointing you in the right direction. And the amount, the reason, you know, Money Talk is there and, and, and continues to do well is that I think, I think they have such a loyal following. People, people genuinely want help and they want information. They don't always want to be sold to. I think, I, I think the proof is in the pudding. It's, it's doing well now. In your, yeah, in decades your, later, decades. like 15 years later. Can you believe it? <laughs> no, but we, we did. So in your career, um, yeah. what I know there's probably many, but what would you say would be your, what was your biggest challenge? And, and then what, what did you learn from it? Hmm. Well, I think I would go back to my biggest challenge was uh, the limiting beliefs that I probably put on myself that I could not progress to the levels that I wanted to. And once I sort of got rid of that, um, I did progress and I did take on new opportunities. I remember at TD at one point, I was in charge of the education and training budget. And it was about a $20 million budget back then. And you're talking somebody that did drop math basically in grade nine. I think I took two German courses instead because way back then you could, mm. uh, you couldn't do that today. And that's a good thing in my opinion. Um, and so I had to then go back when all of a sudden I had, I had math in a big way in my job. I went back and took all the courses that I should have taken mm. in high school and then some uh, between, you know, four and 6 a.m. in the morning because, you know, I had two young children and that's the only time I could do it. But I also knew I had to do it. Um, otherwise, I couldn't continue to progress. Good for you. And in terms of your career, and I don't know if this is easy because there's probably been lots, but what would you say was the greatest advice that anyone ever gave you? Ah, when you, that's, that's a good question. Boy, I wish I'd seen some of these questions ahead of time. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So fresh, here's probably the best right. advice. When I got into television, I, I was not myself. 
Um, I remember sitting down with a very, very seasoned um, anchor. And I said, am I ever going to make it in TV or is this a ridiculous pipe dream? And they said, oh, no, you're in the right spot. But what I'd like you to think about, Patty, is that when you are at home at night and you climb into your own bed and we all do it. I don't know. I don't I do it. Maybe you do it as well. But it, it did strike me. She said to me, you wiggle into that same spot right before you fall asleep. Mm-hmm. You have found the sweet spot for you, and that's how you fall asleep. It may not be where you wake up, but that's how you fall asleep. And she said, so let me put it this way. You're in the right bed in television here, but you haven't found your sweet spot. Interesting. You haven't found who you can be and who you want to be on air. And my best advice to me to you would be just be you. I mean, sometimes I don't try to be funny. Sometimes it's hysterical because you're laughing at yourself and you can't believe what you just said. And the only thing you can do is laugh. Um, And so it's okay. It's okay to laugh. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be you. It's okay when you make a mistake to say, that's not what I meant. In fact, I was on with another anchor and they were interviewing me. And I looked at, and his name's Paul, and Paul Paul Bagnell on BNN and I Bloomberg. And I said, I looked at him, I said, you know what, Patty, that's a really good question. He stopped me dead. And he said, no, no, you're Patty, I'm Paul. I mean, it's one of those moments you think, did I, what just happened? And you just got to roll with it. Yeah. Listen, and, and I made the blooper reel that year, for sure, on more than one occasion. Well, that's the part that's that's human. I mean, very human. And and let me uh, let me stick with what I, I promised you. We keep it to half an hour to accommodate, okay. accommodate your uh, biological clock. Um, uh, and maybe we should tell someone what is your biological clock because they may not understand this. You know, honestly, for over a decade, I would be in bed by seven and up at 3 a.m. I have never used an alarm clock um, because I, I you write all your own material. You do all your own research. Your top stories are your top stories. They evolve through the morning, but you have to hit the ground running. My first chat was always at five. Well, at 5 a.m. So um, I, I'm trying, but I've learned that you you take baby steps. So sometimes I sleep into maybe even quarter to four right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a long day, but yeah. it's okay. It's getting better. It's well, getting better. So I'll never be the life of the party. Unless it's uh, a different kind of a party, <laughs> different yeah, hours. Unless, unless it's an afternoon party. Yeah. So here's the last question. And I think it's a great one for you. And it's what what's the best part of what you're doing now? Oh, what's the best part? And that could be you know, um, related. I'm to doing the things that excite me, mm-hmm. that I have fun with. I get to I I get opportunities sent my way that in the past, when you work for a large corporation, you're you're their property, so to speak. And so um, I'm finding that so many people are asking. Um, of things in different ways that I never ever dreamed of. And I do enjoy it. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. And I kind of like keeping my own hours and you can say yes, or you can say no, or you can say I'm taking today off and, but I'll be back at it. So the flexibility is pretty cool. Well, good for you. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm holding to what I said. We're keeping it a little longer than half an hour. I couldn't help because it's so uh, People are going to be bored. They've already tuned out. So yes, let's, it's a wrap. Okay. It's a wrap. So thank Patty. A delight to be your host and you're my guest today. Um, we'd love to have you come back and uh, you. You know, we'll keep you in mind about the co-host gig. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> thank you for that. Thank okay. you, my friend. Okay. I'll and look- thanks everyone for listening. I hope maybe there's something you can take away. I'm sure there is. Really good to see you. Thank you, Patty. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, Howard. Thanks. Bye-bye. We'd like to thank Patricia Lovett-Reed, and we'd like to thank you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And to get in touch with us, you can reach us one of two ways. You can email us at info at rewithhd.com or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.